everyone, and welcome to the show. I am Martin Willis, your host. And wow, look behind me. It's a, I was wondering what it was. It looks like a UFO in the uh, skyline, but it's actually the sunshine coming in through the window. For those of you in YouTube, I am not going to be abducted as far as I know. So uh, welcome to the show. And uh, tonight we have two guests. The first guest is Irene Previn, and she is uh, in Australia. It's uh, Wednesday morning there. And uh, yesterday in Australia, which is uh, the date today, April 6th, is uh, the 55th anniversary of Westall. So she's going to be uh, talking about that for about the first 20 minutes or so. We'll take a quick, not even a less than a minute break and bring in Stan Gordon for the remainder of the show. And uh, again, thank you so much for uh, tuning in. And uh, over on our website, which is podcast UFO. Dot com. Uh, we have um, a on the side bar, you'll see a mailing list. You can join our mailing list and see what's coming up every week, along with the weekly uh, blogs that are up there. And um, just a couple days after April 1st, Charles Lear sent th- this wonderful uh, blog to us and uh, check it out. It's called April Fool's Day's Joke uh, UFO. Uh, I'll, let me do the title of that over again. UFO April Fool's Day jokes, and there are uh, some really good examples of some uh, jokes. And and like um, like a lot of lure in the UFO world, a lot of people are taking things seriously after years go by. There's a great image of these people that uh, in Brazil that I think it was Brazil, but um, no. Uh, anyway, that's where it was published. But it was called the Silverman and Isaac Coy. And and they have this little like small, tiny alien they're holding hands with. And it was a it was an April Fool's hoax, which ended up uh, several years later, people finding the old old photograph and saying, oh, it's got to be real. Uh, And so a lot of people were believing it as real. This has happened many times in the UFO world, unfortunately. Um, So you got to check your sources always. And. So his, uh, his story is on April Fool's. Um, so I hope someday that one of my shows will land on April Fool's. And I'm going to have to, uh, I shouldn't warn you now, but uh, I'll probably have to do something about that. That should be fun, I hope. Anyway, um, so also anyone can support the show um, for $2 or more a month. And that information is over on our website. It's through Patreon. And uh, I think... That is about it. I want to do. I do want to thank everyone that helps out with the show behind the scenes. We got Bill over there. We cannot take calls unfortunately tonight because uh, Stan Gordon is uh, the old-fashioned type phone guy. So we'll be on the line with him. And uh, so that's it. I'm going to uh, bring in uh, Irene from Australia. Welcome to the show, Irene. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. It is morning for you, bright and early. Yes, it's even before breakfast. That's right. Yeah. It's always good to know to talk to you that we made it to another day. We made it into the future. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So so tell us what, um, for the person, there's a lot of people that are new listening to the show. And I would say 90% of them out there know all about Westall, but this is the 55th anniversary. Can you do like a, a... Say hello to everyone. Do it like a nutshell on okay. what Okay. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, okay. Yeah. The Westall incident happened on the 6th of April, 1966. Um, 
basically uh, the UFO was first seen by some school kids, I think, gazing out the window just waiting before recess time, which is about uh, 22, quarter to 11 here in Australia. So we'll have a morning recess at school and then lunchtime. Um, so um, from what I understand, there were a couple of a couple of things happened. Kids were on the school oval playing sport, and um, there were kids in the science class that spotted it and ran to the window um, because somebody yelled out, "Look, there's a UFO!" Um, so the teacher, the science teacher, lost control of the class at that point, uh, while the kids ran to the window and looked looked at what was hovering outside. So it was hovering quite close. Um, the school has. Um, uh, an oval and some power grid, uh, a power grid, um, and it was hovering just above the power grid. Um, but actually, the other people saw, as I observed it, they saw three. There were a report of at least three that were seen. And as the kids were watching, some light planes came in and the UFOs were playing cat and mouse with these light planes. Um, so interesting. Um, the... Um, I think maybe, Martin, if you could show, I've actually created some images. I'm an artist and a graphic designer, um, and I've created some images to illustrate this. Um, the first one, um, people that saw, the, the, the children that saw um, the UFO, and most of them were um, high school age children, so they were aged between 12 and 17, Um a lot of kids were playing sport and so they were outdoors and they just looked out and saw this thing hovering near the power grid. Um, and it's reported as a silvery um, saucer-shaped object. When I showed this, um, uh, where I actually uh, spoke to Colin Kelly about it. He was one of the kids playing cricket on the Oval at the time. And um, he described the shape of the object to me and I pulled out the um, image captured over Costa Rica in 1971. Um, I think it was a National Geographic survey, um, um, aerial survey, um, and a very clear photograph of a UFO was captured then. I showed the image to Colin and he said, yes, it was very similar. So I based my um, my um, reconstruction on that UFO. Um, the UFO I've created in a mechanical engineering drafting program. So actually, eventually I can make a 3D model of it and I even probably fabricate it in metal, which will be pretty exciting. Mm. Um, so the next image, um, if you could call that up, please. Okay, so the UFOs vanished. They sort of headed off in a direction and the kids went screaming after them. Um, but meanwhile, um, over near the Grange, which is a, a, a reserve, a, a little park, there was um, adjacent to that a market garden where um, a young fellow was pulling up carrots with his boss. He was working at the market garden and he pulled, as he was pulling up carrots, he said, he sort of lifted his head up and he saw this object hovering and he looked at it and thought, what the hell is that? Is somebody playing a practical joke? And as he observed it, it, um, it changed from being a solid silver object and cycling through various colours and then it drifted through the trees. And I asked him, what do you mean did it drift through the trees? I mean, the trees are quite close together. How could an object that size move um, in between them? And he said, no, it drifted through the trees like smoke. So it became uh, ghost-like or transparent and it went through the trees. And um, so this is what I've tried to recreate with the object looking a little transparent in this artwork here that you're seeing um, um irene no, 
is the uh, is the object depicted here? Is it forward of the trees? In other words, is, are the trees between the object and the eyesight, and, and we're seeing transparent through it? Is it's that what transparent. It was? it was transparent, which is ah. really strange. Yeah, yeah, that is really strange. It, like it had structure, yet it was transparent. It had structure, and then it became transparent. So when you first saw it, it was in a different position, and then it moved. So it it's, it it was it was solid, and then it, he said it was like a TV losing transmission. So it was sort of like, uh, you know, when the TV sort of the picture sort of quality starts to um, flash or um, lose transmission, he said it, it sort of cycled through these colours and became transparent and moved through the tree. So I'm very excited to be meeting everybody on um, Saturday. Uh, along with journalist Ross Coltard, who will be interviewing um, the witnesses. And there's one more image I'd like to show, if sure. you don't mind, Martin. Yeah. Um, so here we go. This, this image, once again, showing, well, it's interesting because these are the uh, sketches that um, I got the witnesses to draw for James Fox when he was filming the phenomenon. So I've taken all the sketches. They were torn out from pages of my sketchbook. I just tore out pages and gave it to the witnesses and they scribbled what they saw. I asked them to draw as best as they could remember. But it's interesting because um, you can see all the different shapes. Um, so I put them together in this collage and you can see all the different shapes that people remember. Um, so it'll be interesting to see when I show these final artworks to the witnesses on Saturday to see what, you know, how many people think that it's close to what they saw. So some of the witnesses saying, oh, I'm not really good at drawing, but I'll do my best. But so, yeah, you can, mm -hmm. it's interesting to see the variety of what was remembered after 55 years. But still, no. I guess basically the same shape, isn't it? Uh, yeah, a lot of it is. Now, let me ask this because I know um, as far as like the Ariel School incident, um, they, the, I think, I believe it was one teacher had the foresight to have all the kids draw what they saw, which I think was wonderful. Do you happen to know if people made any uh, contemporary records of what they saw? Well, they were told to um, forget about it. Uh, they were told that by the, they were, um, the the military did come and um, go over the site because crop circles were, were, were marks were left on the ground and they were seen to uh, go over them and then remove them by witnesses. But then also the military representatives came to the the headmaster and had a word with him and he the the children said or the the grown ups now they remember having school assembly and the um, the uh, headmaster telling them not to talk about it that they. You know, we're not we're not supposed to um, express it or talk about it with each other. The media actually came at the time, and they were not they were actually forbidden to talk to the media as well. So it's highly unlikely that they would have been encouraged to <laughs> draw anything. Or it was very very much suppressed in 1966. It's quite different to in the 90s. I think things had opened up a little bit as far as people's. Um, yeah. uh, open-mindedness about this topic, I think. But in 66, middle of the Cold War, um, yeah, it was not talked about at all. It was a, a, an environment of fear, basically. Right. Now, I know uh, I know that 
in speaking to a few of the witnesses at the Ariel School, and um, I just loaded a tape we're going to play um, on the top of the hour on the on the break um, of one of the witnesses. But it they uh, or or one of them I spoke to said she had never heard. You know, she was I forget exactly how old, eight or nine years old, but in South Africa where they were and everything. She had just, and no TV, she had just never heard of a flying saucer or UFO or anything like that. So it was like, what the heck? She had no idea what she was seeing. And uh, the beings <laughs> that came out, um, she had no idea uh, what they were, skin like porcelain and, and all these uh, strange yeah. things. But um, yeah, and, and it does, it does uh, kind of blows your mind when you hear <laughs> these stories. But one of the things that people say a lot, um, to me is, you know, why do you rehash all these old cases? But there is the general response is a lot of times when you're rehashing these old cases, more information actually comes out somehow. It seems to happen. Do you find that happening with this case? Well, it's very exciting that um, Shane Ryan is perpetually on this. He's the main investigator on this. And yeah. uh, Ross Coltard, who's a 60 Minutes um, guy here, he's synonymous with 60 Minutes here. He's a very uh, prominent mainstream journalist. He's teamed up with, with Shane Ryan and they've been um, searching for more information together. Now, Ross is launching a book um, uh, that is published by HarperCollins, um, which is a very conservative, um, I don't know, it's an international um, publishing house. Um, the CEO of HarperCollins is, happens to be the brother of Eddie Redmayne, uh, Charlie Redmayne is his name, who is apparently um, very pro and very interested in UFOs. Um, and when Ross made his pitch to HarperCollins about um, uh, writing this book, um, Charlie happened to be there in Sydney at the time and he thinks that he wouldn't have got it across the line to have it published in the mainstream if it wasn't for Charlie Redmayne's interest in UFOs. Now, Ross covered the Rendlesham Forest um, story back in 2008 for 60 Minutes. Um, he's, yeah, it's it's quite exciting that a very um, uh <laughs> accomplished and respected mainstream Australian journalist is interested in this case and interested in the wider UFO picture and will be, he's, he's in the process of interviewing and making a documentary for television um, and will be there on Saturday talking to the witnesses. So we are very excited about what he will uncover um, because he, is a guy that goes into things very deeply and is very resourceful and able to uncover things that other people are not able to get to. So yeah, that's yeah. great. So hopefully we'll have him on the show. That would be nice to have that. That'd be good. Yeah. I'd be yeah. very excited to see him on, on the show. Um, so perhaps later in the year, once the book is launched. Yep. And there's the cover of the book that will be launched. And you said that was in September or sometime like that, right? Um, it's uh July, August, probably. Yeah. yeah. So okay. probably, well, yeah. yeah. If you go on good. Amazon or HarperCollins, you'll see it and it will say, I'm pretty sure it says July there. So yeah. um, this one question, I, I know I, I probably asked you this before, but I, I do know that I have a really big audience in Australia per capita compared to the U.S. or any other place. You have like something like 26 million people and it's one of the top listening countries to oh, the show. Hello Australians. <laughs> <laughs> and and why why would you suppose is is it just 
not taboo there or why do you suppose so many it's people very are taboo it's very maybe taboo that's why they're watching <laughs> um maybe that's why well, they're listening it's taboo yeah 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 it's uh <laughs> i think even especially under uh, people over 55 60 you will mention the ufo or you if you're associated with ufo you're seen as a nutcase um people under under the age group don't see it that way but um uh, yeah i think the, the the witnesses they suffered their whole lives and were told that they were delusional and hallucinated and these people are not that at all i've met them they're really really straight people really honest people and what so, about the other things that people consider paranormal i don't i don't really consider um you know ufo's paranormal myself mm. because they're so you know often seen and they are something and there's so much evidence mm. that something is going on but what about mm. the other paranormal i mean do you have the yeti there the bigfoot or i mean anything like well, that we there? do it's not something that i know much about um yeah but i mean my, is it talked about in australia or is it the taboo thing as well as ufos everything's it's taboo. very french very very french <laughs> yeah um there yeah. is a version um of the bigfoot um yeah, that um, I think is prevalent in forest areas such as, well, stories come out from areas adjacent to big forests like um, in the uh, in the Sydney area around the Blue Mountains. It's very, very thick forest and people have reported um, encounters or incidents with um, what we call in Australia the Yowie. The Indigenous people have their own various names depending on which um, language group um, they belong to. But that's not an area that I can really talk about because, like you, paranormal is um, interesting but not anything much that I've delved into as much as I've delved into Westall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, I think of a lot of times I think of Australia as all coastal or mostly coastal um, occupied and then you have um, the outback. Uh, you have, mm -hmm. like, just miles and miles of not much, Right. But I, I believe we talked about there are some in that area, There's there are some UFO encounters, a lot of them, right? Yes. Um, well, the state that I come from that I was born in, South Australia, is very sparsely populated. There is um, the Woomera um, test rocket range. Uh, it used to be a test rocket range, but I believe that satellites are now being launched from that space um, um, spot. It's a space... Um, uh, organization that um, is known in Australia. There's a very big no-fly zone um, that the military um, ha have got in South Australia. I think about the third of the state is um, you can't get into it, firstly because of the Maralinga atomic testing. So a lot of the radio, the, a lot of the um, area in the desert is very radioactive because of the British atomic testing. So that's one reason. Yeah. And the other reason is who knows what's going on and what's being tested. It's sort of like an Area 51 of Australia. Um, so, yeah, the people who go into the outback and around Woomera and that sort of area do report seeing strange things. Um, also, uh, there's a guy called Damien Knott who lives in um, far north Queensland, I think, in the outback there, and he has got a lot of photographs and a lot of um, uh, has had a lot of experiences. He would be an interesting guest for you, actually, if you'd oh, like to know we'll more to about, about Australia. That. Damien Knott, yeah. yeah. So he, Don't forget he's that name. I'll have to. Sorry? 
I said, don't forget that name. I'll have to ask Damien you about Watt, that. Yeah. So he point. apparently is collecting a lot of data. Um, yeah. So all right. that's all I can tell you. But if you'd like to see more um, or more closely or have a get a copy of um, the images I've created, please go to my website, irenepreven.com. All right. We will put that in the show notes along with these images. Irene, thank you so much for getting up extra early for me. <laughs> my pleasure. Lovely to see you again. You bet. Always. All right. Thank take care. You. Sure. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> All right, everyone. Now we have our guest uh, coming on uh, from Pennsylvania and uh, Stan Gordon. Welcome to the show, Stan. Thanks, Martin. Thanks for having me back on the program. Yeah, I know you. I'm trying to, I was trying to figure out how many times you've been on Stan, but uh, a number of times in the beginning. So, so the show's coming up on 10 years now. You've probably been on, uh, this is probably your 10th time. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, I remember when I was doing the Everything Else show, we talked about other topics and other than UFOs. It was very interesting. And I think you and I have basically worn out the Kecksburg story, I believe. Don't you think at this time? Uh, yep, there is so much other activity going on, including a, a recent wave of activity here in Pennsylvania. But, uh, yes, I receive reports year after year, all year round, and there's always continuous UFO reports. So there's a lot of amazing cases going on out there. Wow. Yeah, so let's uh, let's talk about what's, what's going on. First of all, for the person who uh, has missed you, I, like I mentioned to Irene when I first brought her on, and I say it a lot because it's true. I get emails from new new listeners all the time that are just starting to look into the UFO topic. So can you give them a, a quick nutshell on your background, please? Okay. Well, I started this when I was 10 years old back in 1959 as a, as a young, uh, interested young fellow who just happened to be listening to a radio show that was talking uh, around Halloween about unusual occurrences. They were talking about hauntings and flying saucers and strange happenings and I went to the library and started reading about the subjects. That's how I got involved. I was 16 years old in 1965 when the Kecksburg UFO incident happened about 12 miles from where I live. I started documenting that case from the time it happened during that evening, and I've been involved with that case ever since. Um, In the late 1960s, I got involved with a group called the UFO Research Institute of Pittsburgh. I was the youngster in the group, as I recall. That's where Stanton Friedman started with a uh, small group of professionals. Uh, He was working at Westinghouse at the time, and they had a UFO group they started. And even though I was young, I always had a lot of experience interviewing witnesses, so I became the telephone site coordinator. So when a call would come in, I would get the... uh, to obtain the information, interview the witness, and determine if the case warranted further investigation. And I stayed with them till they shut down their group. In 1969, I set up a hotline for the public to report UFO sightings, and it's been active ever since, and it's still busy through today. And in 1970, I found the first of three volunteer research groups. The first one was called the Westmoreland County UFO Study Group. It started here in Greensburg, PA, and we moved to the Pittsburgh area. By 1973, I had a setup that we uh, responded to cases across the state. The group was kind of unique in that the majority of people involved were specialists. We had scientists, engineers, technicians, geez, pilots and police officers and former military people and all kind of specialists who volunteered to investigate reports uh, around our regular jobs day and night. And uh, by 1973, we were very, very busy, and, and to our surprise, we were getting a lot of referrals from the news media, the state police, and other agencies, and so we were very, very busy, 
and that led up to 1973 when we had that massive UFO and even Bigfoot wave here that I'm sure you may want to talk about. Yes, right. Um, one of the things I mentioned in, in the text in this show is, uh, um, and I have heard, you're not the first one to, to bring this up, um, but I have heard of a the Bigfoot. I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laughing. I should not be laughing. But the Bigfoot and UFO connection, it just it just seems so. Wow. Uh, I guess that's why I'm laughing. And I do remember someone on the show years ago mentioned that there was not only a case that involved Bigfoot in a UFO, but there was a woman who claimed that she saw this big orb uh, come down. Um, in some field or something like that. And out of it came a Bigfoot. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I just think we're talking about two very elusive things that we have no physical evidence of. And, um, you know, it's just one of these bizarre things. But tell me what you have um, uncovered and discovered when it comes to the connection between the two. Well, it, it's a very long story. It's becoming more and more prevalent, not only in Pennsylvania, but throughout the country. I started writing about this back in the 1970s, and I was in touch with people throughout the country and around the world back then and ever since. And many, many people, both the UFO community and the Bigfoot community, have kept this very low-key because of what you are just discussing. Uh, the UFO people didn't want to associate UFOs with Bigfoot and vice versa. And that was, to me, I mean, I, as an investigator, I don't have any, I don't know what the answers are to the phenomena. I was not looking for these type of things. So let's go back to 1973 when this all started. Um, this all started, actually, this massive UFO wave started January 1st, 73, continued to the last day of the year. And you got to remember, 1973, there's no Internet, there's no cell phones. But the local news media, the newspapers around here and across the state, and then some nationally, began to pick up a lot of these reports in Pennsylvania and our investigations. And then in the fall of 73, you had a massive UFO outbreak. It really uh, hit the newspapers across the country. But it was busy all year in Pennsylvania. We had hundreds and hundreds of UFO reports coming in. So we're not talking about the cases that we could identify there were many misidentifications as of star today. We had satellites, reentry of space debris, meteors, lights on aircraft, um, balloons, all kind of things you could identify. But there were many, many cases we could not. And many of those sightings, as they continue today, but you don't hear much about in the news, but many of those sightings in 73 were large structured objects seen very low to the ground. We had them hovering over highways, pacing cars. We had incidents on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. There were landing reports. I mean, it was just an amazing time to go through. And my teams were out there day and night investigating these cases. And many, many, and multitudes of credible witnesses from all type of backgrounds. So we were busy just investigating all these UFO reports. And then in the summer of 73, we had the largest outbreak of Bigfoot sightings ever documented. And uh, that went on to early 74. In fact, there have been Bigfoot sightings documented in Pennsylvania every year since then. And um, many of those Bigfoot reports, it's not like you see on television. Many of those cases we had were very close-range observations. Some of them were in daylight. Sometimes we had more than one creature seen together. And in many cases, my teams would get out to these incidents, and there would be physical evidence at the scene. We made many casts of footprints, for example. And... I was not looking 
for these type of reports. I mean, when I knew about Bigfoot back in the days I started investigating back in the 60s, from when I knew about Bigfoot, and there have been history in Pennsylvania and around the country and around the world, there were likely some type of unknown primate. That's what I thought. Well, I had no idea what was about to unfold. So once again, you got to remember, a lot of these reports are coming in from widespread areas to people who had no Facebook in those days or Internet. They had no way to know other people reporting. Many of them recalls were initially coming into the police departments. These people had no reason to make up their story. And some very odd things began to come to our attention. One of the first things we noticed was when our teams would get out to some of these locations where Bigfoot had been seen, There'll be trails of footprints under different ground conditions, including fresh, fresh snow. And they were falling for a distance, and they would suddenly stop and vanish and disappear. And there was no way under the conditions they were found that could have been fabricated. And then it got stranger and stranger. We interviewed witnesses who in daylight were seeing these large, tall, hair-covered creatures. They see them standing in a particular location, and instantaneously these creatures physically vanished and reappeared a short distance away. And then it got stranger and stranger. We began to see a pattern. We'd have a UFO sighting in a certain area where the minutes to hours of days later, you have a Bigfoot sighting or vice versa. And then things began to show up. Case began to show up where we had a Bigfoot and UFO seen together at the same time and place. One of those cases occurred north of Pittsburgh in September of 73 when two people were outside out in the country waiting for a friend to pick them up. They see this seven, eight foot tall, hairy, Hairy uh, Bigfoot creature with white hair, which you don't hear about that often, but it's still being reported. And they're strange enough to see this large, hairy creature running across the road, but in one of his hands, it's carrying a glowing ball of light. And a short time later, this object comes across the sky and projects a beam of light down into the woods where the creature ran into. Well, it got much more interesting when more cases coming in. And probably the most significant one of the most significant cases occurred up in Fayette County, which I'm sure you'll hear me uh, talk about. The Fayette County area here in southwest PA continues to be one of the most active areas probably in the country year after year for UFOs and Bigfoot and cryptid encounters, especially along the Chestnut Ridge. But this case, it's a very detailed case, and I can give you just a, a, a short synopsis of it. Uh, October 25th, 1973. There were numerous UFO reports coming out of my hotline from around the state. It was uh, about 10.30 that night. I got a call from a state trooper from Uniontown Barracks. He had just come back from investigating this incident, and he said he believed it was possible there was something still up in the pasture. He wanted me to get one of my teams up there as soon as possible, which we did. It was late that night. We got our radiation equipment, our cameras, and all our equipment together and headed up and found our way up to rural Fayette County. And what we found out was that about 15 people that evening, 9 o'clock or so that evening, they observed this barn-sized red sphere about 100 feet off the ground, slowly moving downward. And um, the farmer's son was on his dad's property. He was riding down the, the farm road to come out and visit his family, and he sees this thing in the sky, and other people standing outside watching this thing. It looks like it's coming down. He goes to a higher location, get a better look at this thing, and it looks like it's actually landing on his dad's pasture. So there were two young boys, and he decided they were going to go up and see what this thing was. He stopped over his dad's farm, grabbed a .30-06 and a handful of ammunition. He didn't know at the time, but in that handful of ammo, there were two tracers. So for the fellows out there that hunt, when they fire them, you know, you just got a luminous trail. Anyhow, as they're riding down the farm road, 
The dogs around the area are going crazy. They had this high-pitched whining noise and these loud baby crying sounds. And they're getting louder and louder to get closer towards the pasture. As they park their vehicle, they angle their truck up with the lights on to, to get a little pathway to come up. And they notice it looks like something is draining the power from their headlights they had never noticed before. They find their way up to the top of the pasture, about 250 feet away. This object is now on the ground or right above it. But now it looks like it's about 100 feet in diameter. It's like a big white dome. It's like a half a sphere. It's making this loud whining sound, and it's illuminating the whole area. And they just stand there. They, they cannot believe what they're seeing. They're watching this thing. And then their attention is drawn uh, it's about 75 feet away to a barbed wire fence. And along that fence are these two tall, hair-covered creatures. The one in front's about eight feet tall. The other one's about seven feet tall. Long, dark hair hanging off the body. No neck. The arms are so long, they're hanging down past the knees almost to the ground. They have luminous, glowing green eyes. They're making these baby crying sounds. Well, the one young boy is so frightened, he ran out of the field. The other one starts yelling at him to start shooting at him, shoot at them. And he fires his first shot, which is a tracer. Nothing happened. He fires the second tracer, and when he does, the largest of the two creatures reaches out his right hand as though to grab that tracer, makes this loud crying whining sound, and the exact moment it does that, that large object in the field vanishes and disappears. It doesn't take off. It just physically is gone. Most of the illumination is gone. The sound stops. The creatures turn around, start walking along the fence line back towards the woods, the fellow at that point is using live ammo with his 30 odd 6 firing right into him with no effect on it whatsoever, and they run back to the truck. They go to the home. They tell the family what happened. They take him to a neighbor's and call the state police. The short part of the story is the trooper arrives about 45 minutes later. He goes up into the field, and what he told me was that the whole area where the object was on the ground was self-luminescent and glowing, about 100 feet or more in diameter. He said the farm animals wouldn't go near it. He said if he had a flashlight, rather, he said if he had a newspaper, he believes he could have read the newspaper and the light coming off the glow. And anyhow, again, a shorter part of the story is they went back to the barracks. Both the trooper and the witness were separately interviewed. Then they called me to send up my team. And then things got much more interesting during the night. We don't have time to even get into. That was the case that was very well documented and investigated. That was the case that made us realize, my team and I, that we're dealing with something that's much stranger. And the case has gotten much more unusual. And if you want me to hear the one case that's very, very strange and shows you the UFO and Bigfoot connection and something much stranger, I'll be glad to tell you about that one. Yeah, let's hear that. This is really fascinating. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. But w before we move on, though, can you explain the team that you mentioned? Um, are these like all volunteers that you have found over the years that, that help and research take this serious enough to volunteer their time, or is that what it is? Oh, yeah. Well, again, that was many years ago. I've been re researching as an independent researcher since November of 93, but during the 70s and 80s and much of the 90s, uh, we, had we had various research groups going, and we were very active. I mean, we had training meetings almost every month. We were out in the field constantly investigating reports, and a lot of these guys, I mean, these were professional scientific people. And I learned a lot from these fellows, how they operated, and men and women both. I mean, we had physicists, chemists, geologists, 
um, you know, uh, pilots, uh, all kind of specialists involved doing this research. And the group became very well known at the time. And that's why we're getting so many reports in. So, but we all had our regular full-time jobs. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? That is, that is great that you put that much effort into it. Um, Magnus wants to know, have you ever had an experience and I'm guessing like either a Bigfoot or a UFO experience? I, I don't know if we've ever talked about that, Stan. Have you had an experience of your own? And this will surprise a lot of people. This will be 62 years of research this year. I have never seen a UFO or a Bigfoot myself, surprisingly. I have seen a lot of interesting physical evidence out uh, investigating out in the field over the years. I've been out since 1965 out in the field doing investigations. I've, I've seen some really interesting things over the years and interviewed multitudes of witnesses and investigated multitudes of amazing cases, some of which we can talk about. But I have never had my own personal encounter. You know, that that's wonderful. I think that is perfectly fine, if you ask me. And I know I've brought this up on the podcast before. But, you know, there is another podcaster out there who was on my show years ago in 2013. And he said, you know, he got interested in UFOs because of a book that he read by Stan Freeman. And now uh, he invented his childhood sighting talks about it all the time on TV shows and everything else. So it's, uh, I think that people feel like they have to embellish themselves to their past to make them more no taken seriously in this or whatever. And I really uh, respect the fact that you say that you never had one, but there's really something to it and you have a fascination with it and that's enough. So uh, thank you for that. Um. Anyway, because uh, I, 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 you know, I had my one experience. I had something else that happened, but um, I still, I guess that's what made me have a fascination is I had, you know, something happen. It wasn't tremendous either. It was, you know, after some of these sightings that I've heard over the years, it was, it's kind of boring. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm glad you do the work you do. And uh, that really is amazing. You said your phone line has been active since, did you say 1969? That is correct, and it's it continues to be busy, and it's been very busy in the last few weeks because we've had this very uh, interesting surge of activity throughout uh, Western PA and other parts of the state. So I've been very busy. The last report came in actually very early this morning from up in Cambria County, uh, up in around the Johnstown area. Can you can you talk a little bit about that, or is that something you can't discuss yet? No, it, it, it's not a real close report, but the witness, witness who saw it is very familiar with aircraft. He happened to be walking his dog early in the morning, and he said, this thing, whatever it was, he said, he said, I know aircraft. This was no normal aircraft. He said, if you took a dice and you looked at the five uh, dots on a dice, and he said, there was those five dots. They were all white lights, non-blinking, non-flashing. There was a red one behind it. It was less than a thousand feet off the ground. He said, completely silent, moving quickly across the sky. But he said um, it was very, very fascinating, whatever it might be. And we've been getting other reports up in that area for the last few years. But some of the other reports, I mean, what's been going on? And witnesses, or rather, your listeners, they can go to my website, which is StanGordon.info, and they can read uh, a report I have on my website now about it. But just to go over what's been going on. And, I mean, the last few years have been quite busy, but this surge is kind of interesting where it was qu kind of quiet during the winter, which is normal, and it began to pick up. But it seems like um, it was the end of February this year 
that things began to be very, and March has been very, very active. So in early March, there were three white circular lights and a triangular configuration reported from Cambria County. There have been reports of triangular-shaped objects from other locations, a daylight observation of a large black rectangular object reported from Bedford County, reports of large glowing spherical objects some have seen at low level and close to homes, bright objects moving straight up to the night sky and disappearing, sightings of small spheres of light that are close to the ground that are continuing to be reported, and residents from different locations reporting unusual luminous objects are being recorded on their game and security cameras. And um, I've been in touch with other researchers as well. One of them is um, Dan Hagman up at the Butler Organization for Research the Unexplained up in Butler County. He said he's been receiving multiple reports of spheres all over Butler County during March. And um, some of the reports he got are very, very interesting. One in particular was uh, March 11th. man was in his kitchen when he began to throw a strange vibration and heard a low rumble realized that the sliding glass door to his deck was vibrating. He looked out the door and noticed a very bright, very large pulsating round object just above the trees at the edge of the yard. The light from the object illuminated his backyard as though it was in the middle of the day. He stepped out on the deck and was awestruck by what he saw. At that time, he found a tingling sensation. His hair stood up at end, and he had chill bumps on his body. He called to his wife and hurried inside to get a camera. When he came back, it was gone. I mean, this is just an example of some of the things that have been going on. Wow, that is that is really amazing. Um, now, would you would you consider Pennsylvania? I know that it's not Chestnut Ridge. What's it called? What's the ridge called there? Oh yeah, Chestnut Ridge is one of yeah. the most active areas in the country. I've been investigating sightings of this since the '60s when I started hearing about it. Year after year, including this year already, phenomena is going on. It's one of the most active areas in the country for UFOs, Bigfoot, cryptids, and other phenomena. And, well, the Chestnut Ridge is not one small little area. It runs through Westmoreland, Fayette, Indiana County, and southwest PA, and, and it goes down to Preston County, West Virginia, outside of Morgantown. But the Westmoreland and Fayette County side are very active year after year. A lot of very strange phenomena is going on, and uh, it's just amazing. And many of those sightings during that 73 outbreak we started talking about, there was a lot of focus on those areas where a lot of these cases were going on. Wow, amazing. Uh, so what I'm going to do, Stan, is I'm going to pop up some questions that come in from the chat room and as we go along, because we're not going to be able to take calls, phone calls, unfortunately, um, uh, because of the way we had to bring you in on the phone. Here. And so what do you think of the uh, Patterson film? What is your thoughts on that? That's the California film, I think. Uh, I can't remember what year, in the 60s, right? That's correct. And, yeah, of course, I've not been involved directly in investigation. I've, I've read about it for years and years. I've read different reports on it. And, and I've seen a lot of videos and a lot of alleged pictures taken of Bigfoot, and a lot of them um, not real clear. But of all the of all the films and all the data that I've seen, that's the one that still appears to be something that can be considered genuine. From what I know about it, I think that's probably very legitimate. Uh, there have been pictures taken around here on game cams that most people have never seen. They're they're private. And people haven't released them. Who had them? I think they're they're probably legit, but they don't show enough. The cameras um, they only show a certain angle or section of what might be a body with hair hanging off. But I think there have been some other legitimate pictures taken. They just are not very clear. 
Right. Yeah. I know that there's been so much analysis over the years and you can find a lot of things online when it comes to that. Um, and I'm going to pull up. This is for the person that is not familiar that's uh, watching on YouTube. I'm going to try to make this happen. I'm going to pull this up um, for a screen share here. But um, it's they've tried to, uh, uh, you know, uh, try to debunk it. It's been a really tough one to debunk. Um, let me just uh, bring the whole thing up here a second here. Um, and when, when they, when I say they try to debunk it, they're trying to, uh, you know, they're checking the, uh, something is uh, strange about this. I think this is one that was worked on basically. Um, but anyway, they tried to, uh, debunk it and they just can't, they haven't been able to, which is pretty interesting because it, it doesn't meet the anatomy of uh, how you would expect uh, a human in a costume could or anything like that. It just doesn't work. Right. And, and let me, uh, I want to explain one thing, what I've been talking about. We haven't really gotten any great detail yet. We could talk for hours and hours about these cases, but I'm not suggesting that Bigfoot is a passenger or a pilot of a spacecraft from another planet. That's not the point. We don't know what we're dealing with. Even with the UFO phenomena, there's many theories. Nobody knows for sure. I've learned a lot about the UFO, the Bigfoot phenomena, and the evidence more and more is reluctant as I am to say it. But for lack of a better term, we might be dealing with something which is interdimensional, and I'll give you a case for it here in a minute. And we're dealing with a phenomena, but with certain, at least some types of UFOs, and Bigfoot and some cryptids I'm finding that have a physical and a non-physical component to them. They can come into our reality at certain times. People see them. Sometimes they look physically solid. Sometimes they're not completely physically solid. They can leave evidence, and then they're gone. We're dealing with a phenomenon that's so beyond our present scientific understanding, I don't think anybody understands, including the government. But if you like, I'd like to tell you about this one case that was the case that convinced me that we're dealing with something that's very unusual. Yeah, absolutely. Go right into it. Sure. This is this goes back to that massive wave in seventy three, seventy four, and this again is way in the mountains of Fayette County, Pennsylvania, February sixth, nineteen seventy four. I remember the case very, very well. I was up at the site early the next morning, and the reason I couldn't get up there that night is because, and some of your listeners will remember this period of time, there was a big national trucker strike. There was gas rationing around the country, so I couldn't get gas to go up there. There was violence on the highways across the country. So in Pennsylvania, the National Guard and the state police were patrolling together. Some of those fellows from both units responded to this incident. So what happened February 674? Uh, this woman lived deep in the mountains in a little cabin home. She lived there in the country all her life. She knew animals very well, was a very good shot. She was sitting there as normal that evening watching television, when she heard um, this noise uh, on her on her little front porch, she had some pop cans out there. Someone was knocking the pop cans around. Well, a few weeks before, there was a, a pack of dogs, wild dogs that have come through the area. So she figured, I bet the dogs are back. So she thought, you know what? I'll just grab my shotgun and I'll shoot over their head and scare those dogs away. So she goes over and loads. She had a 16 gauge double barrel shotgun. She loaded one chamber. She went over, turned on the switch to turn on the outside porch light. She steps out, turns on the switch, and as she steps out, there's no dogs, but about six feet away in front of her is this huge, at least seven foot tall, hairy, uh, gray hair covered Bigfoot. 
And as soon as she turned the light on, I put his arm straight up over his head. What does she do? She fires right into it with her shotgun. She said there's this brilliant burst of light, like a flash on a camera, and it physically disappears right in front of her. Her in-laws lived 100 feet away. They heard the gunshot. They called her and asked her what she was shooting at. She explained to them. Her son-in-law grabbed his pistol, starts running down that dark road towards her cabin. He said he was surrounded by four or five hairy people with eyes like coals of fire, started shooting at him randomly, runs into the home, and it was around that time there was this large object with numerous lights on, like a big Christmas ornament, hovering over the woods at the same time. That's when they called the state police. And I, and I talked to the primary investigator, and he said by the time they found the place way up the mountain, everything was gone. However, he said something very strange was going on up there. He said the, two of the witnesses, he said they were very, very shook up. They appeared to be um, telling the truth. They were very, very upset over the whole situation. But he said what was so unusual were the animal reactions. And this is very common with some UFO cases and also with many, many Bigfoot reports. In many cases, even the most ferocious dogs, when they're close to these creatures, they're just like paralyzed in fear. They will not bark. They don't move. They shake. They cower. They hide. That's very common. But he told me, he said, when he got up there, there wasn't a sound. They had several big dogs up there. None of them barked or made a sound. The horses were uh, un acting unusual. The cats in the house. There was a little baby in there, very, very shook up. They said that baby never cried like that ever before. And he said one of the dogs was in a cage. I think it was an Eskimo Spitz. And he said he went over and tried to pull that dog out of the cage. The dog wasn't barking or moving. He should have ripped his hands and arms off and just scratched my terrible, and it didn't even move or bark. Wow. Now, when I got up there early the next morning, we were greeted by the dogs all barking loudly. And uh, we found the um, the BB pattern in the tree way, out in the woods, straight in line from the porch where the woman shot at it. That was the case, among others, that were similar. They began to indicate we're dealing with something that's both physical and non-physical. And these cases are continuing around the country and around the world. And we've had numerous incidents in the last few years in Pennsylvania, which is just amazing. And... Um, Again, you're beginning to hear more about this now. In the last couple of years, there have been several very good new books from around the country where other researchers are talking about these same type of cases. Things I read about in the 70s, now people are beginning to look at it much more. You've heard about the Skinwalker Ranch. Well, a lot of these things are very similar to Skinwalker. And what a lot of people don't realize is that there are places not only here in Pennsylvania, there's two of them ongoing right now that I'm aware of and involved with where there's been a history of ongoing phenomena. It's where the phenomena seems to focus on a particular uh, location, a particular residence, a certain area. And you have UFOs, you have Bigfoot, you have cryptids, you have strange balls of light, you have paranormal phenomena, and various people are, are observing these and experiencing this, this phenomena. And um, I can tell you this one case that uh, I got involved with uh, a month or so ago, it's fascinating where this is going on, a property uh, up in northern PA. And I know in recent weeks, and I've seen some of they have some very, very good uh, night vision and um, other camera and other videos of, of some of these glowing balls of light and low in the woods. Wow, all fascinating stuff. We have uh, uh, Brand Brandon, the owner of Skinwalker, and Travis um, Taylor is coming up on May 5th. He's in the Skinwalker Ranch on the, the night of their debut. 
of this season premiere that coming up on May 4th are going to be on the show to talk about that. It's pretty fascinating. It's a little plug to get their show started, of course. But uh, I, I did uh, d- did want to throw that out there. And while while I'm talking about that, we Lou Elizondo, I mentioned, uh, was coming up. And uh, people have been asking me when that is. And that is going to be on May 11th. He's going to be on for a full show then. So get your questions ready for Lou Elizondo when he comes on. So we are uh, we are ready in just a second to go into break. But I, I kind of wanted to set this up. Uh, um, and I want to talk more about this. Um, and just to follow up on the last story that you told and, and your thoughts on this, of course, we're all, it's all just theories and thoughts anyway. Um, but uh, I remember speaking with Paul Eno. He runs a show, a paranormal, you know, UFO show on the radio. in uh, I think it's in uh, uh, Rhode Island. And he is, uh, his thoughts are exactly what you're talking about. He thinks that it's definitely, um, he thinks that along with UFOs or most UFOs have this interdimensional type of situation snapping in and out of a reality, including ghosts, which I think is quite uh, uh, quite a thought. You know, when um, when people talk about uh, it certainly would explain a lot of things. So anyway, we are ready to go into the break and uh, we'll be back with you, Stan. Uh, we're going to take you out and uh, and. Uh, we will be bringing you back in after this uh, about a four minute break and how I'm setting this up is I, I put in here, I haven't even watched this. This is uh this is kind of scary, but I'm putting up raw footage of when I uh, interviewed Francis uh, Cheramuda. He was one of the Ariel school witnesses. So I'm going to be playing that uh, unedited. I'm going to cross my fingers that it, it, uh, Things are not in there that should have been added out. And it'll be just uh, just under four minutes. So uh, for those over you here over in YouTube, you're going to get to watch that. And uh, for those of you in KGRA Radio, we'll be right back right after these messages. <laughs> you're a good-looking guy. <laughs> you look great. I love your hair, man. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult now. Um um, talking from a position because now that I've done a regression, um, that is the freshest memory of, um, sort of like the events that I now have because, um, this kind of brought to light, um, a few details that I otherwise before did not have or details that might have, um, disappeared within the time of the event and obviously us going through life and growing up. Um, but, you know, details, small details like the lights and how now I have a clear picture of um, there being these spheres. And these spheres were about my size, you know, the size of, a, of an adult human, right? And um, these spheres were kind of rotating around the craft in an anti-clockwise motion. Um, and they were glowing bright, bright white. Yeah, Kind of, kind of the way I look at it, um, the light that a lot of people were seeing um, were, were being emitted by these spheres, All right? And mm-hmm. as we kind of progress through the story, um, they kind of switched behavior in a way, and um, as if they were being repelled by a magnet, um, one at a time, the spheres shot off in different directions. Right. Then leaving the craft itself, which, um, 
because there was no light now shining on the on the craft you, you could tell it was a silver sort of color of the craft and um yeah this is the most vivid and direct memory that i actually do recall you know from the regression and from past memory as well now did you uh, actually see what other people had seen as far as like the being the physical um, being yes i did um by account there were actually three beings um two of them um kind of remained um within the line of sight from the playground to the craft and um another one which is also one of my most vivid memories was um one of the beings actually darting from the craft um towards the direction of the swimming pool um the swimming pool which was probably about 2 3 400 meters um to the left of the playground um and the most peculiar thing was um the way in which it moved because it almost felt as if um it would disappear and appear a few meters ahead of itself you know almost in a blinking fashion and not um in the normal linear fashion that you would expect someone to be moving you know well, and did you um, see it like did it look like it was floating i've heard other people say like it they never saw it actually touch the ground that's feet no in in this case like i was saying um it would just be the appearing and disappearing so um i would just want to guess and say yes it probably looked like it was floating but at no point did it ever look like it was physically running if i could say that mhm how about yeah. that all right welcome back everyone uh so that uh, clip for those of you on youtube that was francis cheramuda about the ariel school incident um it went on uh, this was a a part of an interview that uh i did several months ago he is in madagascar and uh, a, a great guy i was glad to uh, be able to interview him All right, uh Stan, we're back. So, uh right before we went into a break, we were talking about the possibility of interdimensional beings as a as a possibility. I know these are all theories, but uh is there other cases that makes you also uh you know confirms this more? Oh, there there are so many different cases. I mean, it's just incredible. And what we have to look at with a lot of these UFO reports, I mean, we have many many reports of these objects that suddenly physically disappear uh they take on various types of shapes some appear to be solid metallic sometimes we're getting reports of like a mist or fog around them at times but sometimes they physically change form and then they're suddenly gone and um i mean we've had numerous cases even geez, in the last few years i mean there've been numerous cases especially large cigar shaped objects i guess some people may want to call them tic tac shaped objects Let, let me just read you a few short reports from 2019. This is um from outside of Pittsburgh in August. A beautiful morning, man sitting on his porch looking at the sky, about 3000 feet up. He sees what appears to be a silver solid oval or football shaped fat in the middle with short ends, about 80 feet long, about 60 feet wide. The object's hovering begins to move southeast 
and it was right over top of his head. The object's completely silent. There was no wind at all that day. It began to suddenly and slowly vanish or fade from the back end, extended to the front section when it was gone from sight. Observation about five minutes, about 10 minutes later, uh, a similar object was seen and, and it was gone uh, sh soon after. Um, hold on, I've got a whole bunch of pages here, pages of reports. From Fayette County in, the, in September, 420 in the morning, cigar-shaped object estimated four to 6,000 feet high, no sound, slowly moved by gliding eight to 10 lights in a row, um, round, red in color, blinked on and off, also two large uh, white lights about 100 feet in length, something like a fluorescent tube came out of the object when it went below it, then it went back up into it, then it dropped back down and was gone. Now, that's really interesting because I'm going to go over a report that happened along the Chestnut Ridge in July of 2019. So this is in the hotbed area along the ridge. This is outside of Latro, Pennsylvania. And that evening, two people were traveling uh, along the Youngstown side of the ridge when uh, it was a very clear night. And the pasture in the car yelled out to the driver, one of those lights in the sky. And he pulled over and looked up. The passenger was confused because what she first saw looked like a glass tube cylinder among bright lights that seemed to be covered with a smoke or a haze. The cylinder appeared to be attached to a very large V-shaped object with several rows of different colored lights. The driver uh, stopped the car, and he was amazed to look at this thing that's hovering about 60 feet above the trees. The V-shape was made up of numerous small rectangular-shaped white lights. Those lights were glowing blue, brightened at dim at times. He estimated about 50 or more of those lights. And if the object itself was about 40, 50 feet in length. It was about the smaller lights were four larger round lights that were strobing orange, blue, red, and green in color. The brightness of those colors appeared pale compared to the smaller rectangular lights. Those, these lights, though, seemed to strobe from left to right. And there was a larger light that produced a beam that was scanning the sky above the object as it hovered. The driver put down the windows as it continued to watch. They were amazed that this large object was completely silent. And he said, all of a sudden, now the radio was off in the car, and he said, all of a sudden, the electronic system of the car was having a seizure. He said, the radio was off, but they suddenly began to hear this odd clicking sound inside your car but they were unable to locate where the sound was coming from. At that time, they noticed that the dash lights were dimming on and off with the beat of the clicking sound. He also was having trouble with the cell phone. The signal was dropping out. Uh, they watched this thing. They were got very, very shook up. They were very upset over what they were seeing, and they decided to leave. They, they said they were in awe. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Uh, as they began to ride down the road about 30 miles an hour, suddenly animals began running out of the woods as though they were frightened. He said, first, the deer ran out right in front of the car. This guy's an experienced outdoorsman and hunter. He said he's never seen a deer look so dazed and confused. Moments later, another deer ran out. Short distance down the road, a bird hit the car windshield. And as it continued uh, down the road, more animals came out of the woods. And interestingly, about a year later, I get a call from another fellow who he remembered that particular date because something was going on in his life. He said he was a few miles away on the opposite side of the ridge the same night, and he believed the same object covered over his vehicle and shot a beam light down onto his vehicle. That's just an example of 
the many, many kind of reports we've been receiving. And these are the kind of reports that are continuing to go on, but you don't hear about the news because the witnesses want no publicity. Did that actually stall his vehicle as well? No, it did not. But uh, the radio was off. It did not stall his vehicle. But I have had cases where that has occurred. And also, interestingly, there are many aspects of the Bigfoot phenomena that are very unusual that I've looked into, and many people never heard about or won't talk about it. But besides having uh, electromagnetic effects where UFOs hover near cars and the headlights go out or the power goes out and they move off and the power comes back on, the same thing has happened in some Bigfoot cases where oh. Bigfoot has ran out near a car and there's a power uh, loss in the vehicle or when the creatures run off and move away, the power comes back on or the power uh, regains in the vehicle itself. Wow, that is so puzzling. That's that's almost like makes you wonder if there's, you know, I'm going to go way out there and just say if there's some type of way to travel through another dimension if you use a certain type of power that would affect things in that other dimension you know like uh sort of like a with there's uh antimatter kind of like anti-power or something <laughs> you know i mean it's bizarre yes it's all bizarre but um it, it's only you can only look at these things with uh, speculation that's it no nobody has any answers Again, I think we're dealing with something that's so beyond our present understanding right now, which is why so many people laugh. Because if you haven't had your own personal experience, I deal with people all the time. I mean, very educated people from people, all kind of backgrounds. Most of these people didn't believe any of these things could exist, whether it's a UFO or a Bigfoot, so they had their own experience. And for so many people, it was a life-changing event. And some of these people I've been in touch with from 20, 30, 40 years ago. And even today, some of these people still can't deal with it. But... We're wow. dealing with something that's very unusual. It has a physical and non-physical component to it. But the one pattern I found years ago is many low-level, close-range UFO encounters and many encounters with Bigfoot and other cryptids commonly occur in the vicinity of high-energy sources. So many incidents occur around power stations, high-tension power lines, Radio, communication towers, gas wells, gas lines, railroad tracks, reservoirs, uh, it goes on and on and on. There's definitely a, an energy connection to the phenomena, whatever it might be. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, you, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Skinwalker Ranch earlier, and there were the um, scientists on site that claimed they saw this creature, like a Bigfoot, come out through what appeared to be a portal that all of a sudden appeared and, and closed up, which is, wow. I mean, this is all mind bending stuff and fascinating. Um, and uh, they weren't, they didn't film it. I, I don't remember what the reasoning was behind not filming that particular situation, but yeah, it, it, it's really fascinating. What do you have other stories as well that, uh, you know, kind of dovetail similar to this? Um. Yeah, we could talk for hours. <laughs> okay. There are many, yeah. many cases. This is exactly what's been going on around here and, again, in other parts of the country. And um, what? And I'll give you an, an interesting case, but here's something that a lot of people have never talked about or know very little about. It plays a part in all this phenomena. You know, we, we're always talking about these large cigar-shaped objects and triangular objects, and in more recent years, large rectangular objects are being seen. But... 
I've been doing what I call mini UFOs since the 1960s. These yeah. reports continue to occur, and they are so much more interesting and maybe more important because these are not objects that are seen high in the sky. These things are low to the ground. They come very, very close to people. There have been incidents where they've entered people's homes and cars through open windows and gone out sometimes right through the vehicle wall or right through the wall of the house. Um, I had one case years ago, northern PA, I remember many years ago, a woman told me she was uh, cooking in her kitchen one day. The window was opening when these small little spheres came in, uh, floated around the kitchen. And her reaction was she grabbed the broom, started striking it. She said it broke into two identical little spheres. They flowed around and went back out the window. But the objects I'm talking about, they're gen generally spherical, but not always. They're generally an inch or two to a foot to two in diameter. They're sometimes solid metallic looking. Sometimes they're transparent or translucent. And sometimes they're just bright light sources of different colors. And they're very, very interesting, again, because they come so close to people. And um, I, I'll give you a couple examples. And um, I think you'll find some of those cases are, are very, very interesting. But um, here's, here's one of these small uh, ca cases or one of these small objects that um, is not a sphere. This happened just in, uh, when was this? This was back in 2017, I believe. And uh, this is in Fayette County, but a town called Fayette City. It was early morning, and a man was got up early to warm up his wife's car so she can go to work and have a nice warm car. And the whole area, the whole patio out there was illuminated. The lights were on. He's walking down the steps towards her car, and about 10 to 12 feet away by the right bumper, he sees, he said, I don't even know how to explain it. He said this thing was about two feet tall, shaped like a haystack. The object was translucent, shiny, and a milky white color. There were vertical ribs that seemed to be superstructure that looked like chrome straws that would be seen through the translucent structure. The object, which was silent, was gliding one to two inches off the ground and was motionless when he first saw it. He said whatever the object was, several seconds later, it must have detected that he was there, and he was only about six feet away from it. It suddenly zoomed extremely fast across the driveway uh, to the left side of the car, made a perfect right angle down along the driver's side where it was dark in that area of the garage, and he never saw it again. That's very, very interesting. Um, here's a case from 2019 in daylight from one of my uh, research associates, Jim Brown up in Fayette County. He investigated the incident in November of 2019 where a man was on his way home that afternoon, and he's going up the rise of, of a road, and he sees this ball, of, uh, this ball on the ground, it's about two feet across and was blocking the road. He couldn't get home unless the ball was moved. He didn't know what this thing was. He couldn't figure it out. So he decided he got out of the car and started walking towards it. And um, he had just shut the door and began to approach it. And he said it began to physically fade away. In a few seconds, it completely vanished. And then it disappeared. It never moved. just faded away. And he has no idea what this thing was. But he said it was silvery gray in color. Just a sphere about two feet in diameter, and um, that's the kind of reports that people uh, are coming up with. Now, uh, you know, the, one of the things I, I think of when, when it comes to the small, the, the size of the UFO shouldn't really matter that much, but I think of uh, like a drone-type situation. Are these things considerably uh, – uh, is the opinion of these – 
that they are intelligently operating on on all of these or most of these? Well, again, these reports go back many, many years. I mean, when I first heard about them, I thought that we're could be doing whatever they are. There's some type of remote device that's sending back some type of data, whether it's audio and visual or both, to another source. So were they some type of remotely controlled objects? And, uh, mm-hmm. of course, now you've got these Navy reports of something going on. Um, and I don't know what's going on, but it gets much more fascinating because these small spheres of light, they keep reappearing in areas where we have repeat activity. I'm, I'm sure when you talk about the Skinwalker Ranch, they probably will talk about some of those. They are appearing in other areas around Pennsylvania, around the country. But in more recent years, not only in Pennsylvania, from around the country, and if you go on the Internet, you'll see more and more discussion about this. Bigfoot researchers are out in areas that have a history of Bigfoot encounters. And many of those people, including in recent weeks here in Pennsylvania, are reporting seeing these unusual spheres of light or other weird light phenomena that they cannot explain. So now you've got this tie-in. And, for example, let me give you this report. This is outside of Pittsburgh, and this just happened um, in May of 2019. Early morning hours, this man happened to look out his window. He was in, I believe, the kitchen, looked out the back window, it was illuminated. The outside was illuminated pretty well from artificial lighting. He sees a small Bigfoot. We get those reports, too, about four and a half to five feet tall. It's uh, covered in dark hair with long hair on the head and the back. Walk on two legs. The arms are down past the knees. He can see the arms swinging. The creature uh, had a long stride, and it went through a neighbor's yard into a wooded area, and it passed right into this particular wooded area. About three seconds later, Right at that location where it entered the woods, a bright sphere of light, about three to four inches in diameter, suddenly appeared. The witness said it was like looking directly into the front of a flashlight about four feet off the ground. The light then moved a short distance for about three seconds and vanished. A few seconds later, the light reappeared again about ten feet away, and this time the small sphere emitted a bright beam of light about ten to twelve feet long. A few seconds later, it vanished, and that's the last we saw of it. So these are the kind of things that are going on, but you hear very little about it. Would this also have to do with, um, you know, there was there was someone, his name was Terry, I forget his last name. He was doing research on the orange orb phenomenon. Is this along the same lines? You mentioned different colored uh, lights or whatever, uh, but is it is it the orbs as well as part of this? Uh, and I'm not exactly sure what case you're referring to, but, I mean, these orange lights, I mean, they're range again, for anywhere from a, an inch or two in diameter to one to two foot in diameter approximately. And, again, they're generally spherical, but not always. But going back to the 70s, uh, if I remember from Washington State and other areas, there was a lot of reports coming in of these strange spheres of light, orbs of light in the trees, low level, where Bigfoot activity was going on. And as I recall, going back to 1972, when I first began to hear some indication of something like this was showing up, then 73 turned up, and we began to see a lot of reports. But some people said they were like oversized fireflies, very close to homes in the bushes, low to the ground. And I remember a Bigfoot researcher told me from a few years ago, um, there was an amazing case with a Bigfoot where up in Fayette County, um, where this creature actually... Uh, the two fellows in the car were, sta- were sitting in a vehicle. 
because this, tw- this Bigfoot, this seven, eight foot tall creature had come down the hillside, was standing 20 feet in the road right in front of him. And neither one was moving. They were staring at each other. It had glowing red eyes, which is very common. A lot of reports, luminous eyes of various colors. And they actually slowly moved their car forward and had the, the um, they actually had uh, the vehicle actually was touching the knees of this creature. And it turned out had his hands on the front of the vehicle. And then it turned around, started walking down the road, and went off into the woods. But within the week, a number of Bigfoot investigators were up to that site, and various ones reported seeing these strange lights in the sky. But I remember one telling me about what looked like a very large swarm of these large, oversized fireflies. And they would be in big swarms. But interestingly, as they're moving, they're illuminating the whole area around it. And he tried a couple of times, I recall, to go towards it. And every time he moved towards it, the swarm would move away so he couldn't get near them. So there's a lot of things out there that are very unusual going on. Wow. The luminous eyes. That is so wild. And um, I know I had uh, Frank Fraschino on uh, talking about the Flatwoods monster. And that's one of the things it, you know, whatever that was had luminous eyes as well. Really bizarre. There's uh, just take a, a quick jag. Uh, Dave Altman's in the uh, in chat and listening, and he he was asking if you could talk about the dragon encounter. Are you you must be familiar with what he's asking? Uh, there have been uh, a number of reports from uh, Pennsylvania, and I, I probably need to clarify this a little bit. There have been. Um, Many reports of what, for a better term, we call Thunderbird sightings for years and years, going back to maybe the 1800s. But um, there have been some significant uh, reports of these giant oversized birds, even in the last year. Uh, some of the reports indicate this thing has a 10 to tw- a 20-foot wingspan. And um, anyhow, uh, they look like an oversized turkey vulture, as I said. They're generally dark brown or black. And um, there's other reports, though, within that um, subtitle of Thunderbirds. They're not just oversized birds. There's other people reporting that some of these things look like leathery, uh, leathery giant, quite often black bats, huge black bats, as some of these people were saying. And um, then you've got these other reports of um, what some people swear they've seen that looks something like um, a pterodactyl, like prehistoric birds. So those are very, very intriguing. I think the case he might be talking about happened back uh, 2012, again, up in, up in Fayette County, where so many very strange things have happened. And this fella was walking his dog that evening, and um, they had some outside lights on, and... Um, his attention was drawn upward after they heard like this whooshing sound from overhead. And um, I believe he says about 50 feet, 50 feet or so away, he sees something. He said it looked like a dragon uh, that passed over the uh, automatic dusk to dawn light. And he said this thing had a, a body about 22 feet long with a wingspan about 18 feet wide. Looked shiny with almost reflective body with no scales. And the color was dark kind of a brown or red color, similar to auburn, uh, brown. He said, on the wings, there appeared to be talon-like fingers, about three to four in number. The wings were quite thick and not like skin. There appeared to be a rear fin on the backside of the body. Creatures displayed an arrowhead-shaped tail and appeared to be um, 
He could see the two extended rear legs on this thing. He said the weirdest thing was that there was an illumination, ominous orange glow around the mouth and eyes, and the creature flew down um, over the trees, down further into the yard, and he said it made a sound like a foghorn on a boat. Hmm. And uh, there have been some other reports of something as people swear is like a dragon. And then the reports get weirder and weirder. I mean, there are so many unusual creature reports we're working on. I'm actually, I'm working on a uh, a um, script for a book right now of some of the weird, weird things been reported over the last several years. And some of these are very, very bizarre reports. But what we call, or what people begin to call now the um, the gargoyle, Butler County gargoyle, this is from 2011. I interviewed this witness many, many times. The guy is very professional. He's a businessman. And he was riding up in... Uh, Butler County, uh, early one morning, late in the early one morning, between Chicora and East Brady, and his headlights catch this thing in the field to his right, and he thought it was a deer. And as he approaches closer, this thing rises from the ground, takes three big steps in front of him, and off into the woods. It went across the road into the woods. When I interviewed him the first time, he went on to say that, he said, I know people talk about Bigfoot, and he said, this thing was not a Bigfoot. He said, this thing is at least eight foot tall, but it was covered with a smooth, leather-like skin that was either dark tan or light brown. And he said the head appeared to be flat, kind of like an aerodynamic helmet. The, uh, fa- the face was flat. The eyes were kind of curved back. The ear, you only saw up on the one side, the ear was um, left side was long and flat and, and went backwards, something like a flap. But he said the arms were muscular a little longer than that of a human. The hands had claws. And he said what really stuck out was it had very muscular legs. And he said the legs did not move like that of a human. They looked like they were bent backwards. And he said it had what appeared to be wings on its back, which were tucked into its body with the wingtips extending toward the side of its head. And within days, a number of other people in the same area reported other sightings as well. It's almost like, you know, what you're describing, little bits of it sound like the People have described Mothman as well. Yeah, I mean, there's some similarities to it. And, yeah, uh, yeah it, it's just fascinating. And and that doesn't even get into some of the strange reports we've had for, for the last several years. And this goes on year after year. People are seeing these things and, and even stranger things that uh, continue to be reported. It's such a strange phenomenon. And like I said, I, I've uncovered a lot of strange things about Bigfoot, but it goes further. And when your friend, I think you mentioned your friend was talking about uh, glowing sphere or whatever, or somebody talked about uh, ghost lights or whatever, the more you look at this phenomenon, the more people I've talked to over the years, there there is some similarity, and there may well be some association with other types of paranormal phenomena as well. We just don't understand it. But a lot of what the people in the paranormal field have investigated with these balls of light or orbs of light and other phenomena there's some strong similarities with some of the other phenomena that I'm finding with Bigfoot and UFOs. And believe me, my journey in this field did not, was not in this direction. I wasn't looking for this. This is what the people began to report years and years ago. And when so many different people who didn't have any way of knowing each other over many years begin to give it these little details, and then you begin to see these patterns, you can't just throw this out and eliminate it. I don't understand it. I, like I said, I think it's way beyond anybody's understanding right now, but I think it's going on. 
I, I think it's very likely the government knows a lot more about any of this various phenomena, but UFOs and Bigfoot, they're telling the public, but I don't think they have the answers either. Right. Yeah, I've said that many times on this show. Now, what about, let's talk about the wit, you know, some of the witnesses that come forward. How reluctant are they to really open up and, uh, and, and speak to you? And that's my A and the B side of this question is, are there ever any like really large groups of witnesses seeing these things? Um, yes and yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> people from all walks of life have come, have talked to me and I'm not the only one. Many have talked to other researchers too, but I deal with these people quite often. And I can remember probably the last three years, I, um, I interviewed independent, several experienced hunters and outdoorsmen, all who had different experiences, different locations. I mean, some of these guys, I mean, these guys are probably in their thirties and forties, spent years out in the woods. And I mean, these guys sat there and, and I remember one of them was trembling with tears coming out of his eyes and he just could not deal with what he saw. I mean, some of these people, the screams and cries they heard from these creatures, what they saw, I mean, their lives were changed. I mean, I, I can think of many people over the years that I've, I'm still in touch with um, who never, never would have believed that these things could take place or be real. And some of these guys have spent their, their, their life was going out hunting and going in the woods, and these guys have told me, I'll never go back up in the woods again. I mean, those are the yeah. kind of things that are going on. Yeah. And it's just amazing. The whole point is this. And we haven't even touched on some of these other strange creature reports that have been coming in that you've got all these different unknown creatures. And yet we can't possibly have so many type of unknown species out there. But you've got so many different credible people with different backgrounds from different areas that don't know each other. Tell us the same stories, the same details over the years. You can't eliminate the reports. So we have to be dealing with something that we just don't understand right now. And again, I'm saying for a lack of a better term, could be interdimensional, that whatever we're dealing with under certain conditions, they come in and out of our physical reality. They can leave evidence at times and then they're gone. And um, it's just, a, it's just gets stranger and stranger. I mean, I just got an interesting report in here in the last couple of hours from an investigator that just got a whole report it happened very recently. I'm not ready to talk about it yet because I need to go into it. But it gets into some of these cases where people are telling me that it's like these things are like watching a predator movie, like with Bigfoot. I mean, I had one um, uh, member of a family who was riding down the road a few years ago, early morning going to work, and she wrote me a, a several pages of uh, report on it, extremely reluctant to even talk to me or anybody. And she said, it was like watching a predator movie. She said, we're going down the road, and suddenly this huge eight-foot-tall hair-covered creature suddenly appears in front of the car. It's going along the road. I can see it from head to toe, and it suddenly, poof, it's gone. Wow. These things appear and disappear. I had another case at the base of the, of the dairy, uh, dairy along the Chestnut Ridge uh, a few years ago. man's riding down the road that evening, and he said, about 75 feet away, this about seven foot tall, very broad shouldered something. You can see the whole outline of this thing. It's very broad shouldered, kind of stooped over. And he said, it's like misty, foggy. It's not physically solid. I can see its shape. And it appears to be more floating or gliding above the road into the field. And then it's gone. And we've heard that with Bigfoot reports, the same thing, where sometimes it's running very fast and looks physically solid. But we have other cases where, 
only parts of the body is physically solid. Sometimes parts of the body is out of focus. Sometimes they're misty or foggy. It, it, it's just so bizarre. And if it was only one or two reports, you say, ah, it's imagination. But when you start getting these reports from all over the state and all, all, all across the country and from other countries, then you've got to realize there's something going on here. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was uh, Jane Goodall, um, the woman that lived among the uh, apes, you know, years ago. Uh, she she had actually thought that there could be something to the Bigfoot thing, um, you know, because of people seeing it, you just mentioned, in other countries. And she went into all the countries where people are claiming that they see that. Getting back to the second part of the question, are there any like mass witness sightings or is it all just people remotely in the woods uh, that see things like this? Uh, no, there have been cases where there have been multiple witnesses, both with UFOs and Bigfoot. And, you know, we talk about the Phoenix Light case, Phoenix Lights yeah. case from years ago. But here in Pennsylvania, and let me tell my memory, is February, it was February of 92, near Williamsport, Pennsylvania. There was a, a mass sighting late afternoon over a highly populated area, uh, and one or more of these very large, solid, boomerang, triangle objects was observed very low to the ground. You know, most UFO reports we get, these things make no sound. But in some cases, these things make a terrific sound. This was like, according to people, it was like a, a railroad car, a train coming up the road where there was no railroad. And people were running outside that day to see where the sound was coming from, and this thing was moving so slow, people were walking underneath it and getting great, uh, great uh, observations of this thing. And it's made, this made a lot of news locally in the small town papers. You would have thought it would have been making national news. Uh, it was a very long, detailed investigation was done on this thing. And nobody was ever tracked down what this thing was. Um, wow. But it was amazing. So there were multitudes of witnesses there. So in a lot of cases I get, yes, there are multiple witnesses. And in lots of cases... I'll get reports coming in simultaneously from other people in the same area, or sometimes days or months later, I'll get other leads and other people coming forward and saying, yeah, I saw that too. And we've also had that with Bigfoot case where there have been multiple witnesses involved. It's not just one person. Many times there's more than one witness to many of these cases that are coming in. So yes, that is not uncommon whatsoever. Amazing. Um, there was a, uh... There was a, a Latro uh, PA Bigfoot sighting uh, near St. Rose Church in the 1970s. Are you familiar with that one? Someone wanted to know if you were. Uh, can you can you repeat that again? I couldn't hear Latro, you. Right. I think he spelled it wrong. Lat, Lat, Latro, but I think it's Latro PA back in the 1970s. I'm sure. Yeah, that, that's probably one of the many, many cases I investigated. That's during that massive Bigfoot sighting. So Latro, Pennsylvania, which is the hometown of Arnold Palmer, was an area. Of, it's very close to the Chestnut Ridge. So on one side, you got Youngstown. You have the Derry Township, which continues to be a hotbed for phenomena. I had a, a very good, uh, interesting daytime Bigfoot sighting up on the ridge in February of this year. I interviewed the guy. He's been a, a longtime outdoorsman. He saw the seven, eight foot tall, uh, dirty, white, hairy Bigfoot in daylight. Uh, so just several weeks ago, unfortunately, he didn't even have a cell phone or camera to take a picture of it. But he saw something he had never believed in or never saw before. And then we were getting reports of large tracks up there 
uh, along the ridge and big tracks in the snow. But that happens very commonly up around there. And uh, there were many, many sightings around La Trobe and Derry. My, the whole story is my silent invasion book, which goes into great detail about that massive wave in 73. And my teams are out there day and night during that outbreak in 73, especially along that area around La Trobe and Derry and all those small towns, Hillside and New Derry, and goes on and on and on. And there were many, many Bigfoot sightings, daylight as well as at night. There was a lot of physical evidence we found that some of these cases. There was just amazing reports coming in. And that area still continues to be active with reports. Wow. Yeah, that, that's all fascinating. R- really, really amazing. Um, and, yeah, I had never heard that story you just mentioned about the, you know, mass sighting of triangle. Did you say there was more than there were two, two triangles that were seen? Sure. There could have been more than one because it was from a widespread area. It came in from more than one county, but a lot of it was right around Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and was it just a one? Was it a one-day thing? Say it again. Was that a one-time situation, or was it a repeat thing? I believe, from what I remember, I could be wrong, but I think it was mainly a one-time situation, most of it. I think there may have been some other sightings later, but I believe that was mainly a one-time incident. Mm -hmm. And when you said earlier, you said that these things are happening all over the country. So you really are paying, besides uh, trying to take hold of all the investigating that you're doing or involved with or people you know are involved with, you're actually looking out to see if there's similarities? Is that is that what it is in other places? Yeah, and, and I get calls from all over the country. I mean, I deal mainly oh, in Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah. But I, but I deal with people from around the country. People call, witnesses call me, investigators call me. And, uh, for example, while this was going on here in March, for example, in PA, um, there was another group down in West Virginia that are very active, and they – I uh, had an incident where in the afternoon, a, a fellow who was a non-believer, apparently, in UFOs, till we saw in videotape, it's a very good video of what you could call a tic-tac, a cigar-shaped object moving across the sky. And uh, I had a few other reports that same day here in Pennsylvania. So things are going on, I think, in a lot of places. I'm hearing there's quite, been quite a bit of activity in other parts of the, of the country, too. But again, I'm doing mainly here in Pennsylvania. Right. And... Since uh, since the lockdown or so-called lockdown over the year, how, it sounds like things have increased there. Is that is that the case? I can't say in, increased. I, I can say this this is interesting what's happened late February and March where we've had this surge of activity. It's nothing like the 70s with the hundreds and hundreds of reports coming in, but there have been quite a number of reports coming in. But it goes like this in cycles. I mean, since if you yeah. go to my website and you can read some of the past reports on there, 2017 has some very interesting cases, but 2018 became very active with Bigfoot and UFO encrypted cases. 2019 was very, very active with reports. So, again, a lot of these are detailed, close-up observations of various phenomena. And to my surprise, 2020 has been quite active with reports. I mean, it's been steady right through until the we got into the wintertime, which things slowed down even more. But I was very surprised with the, the virus situation of the number of reports that have been coming in. And uh, Stan, your your uh, your website, uh, you mentioned a couple of times. I'm just going to pull up 
um, for everyone to see, to check it out. It's uh, Stan Gordon is one word dot info. Uh, people can check that out. And uh, like I said, I'll, I'll pull it up here so people can see it on, on YouTube. And it is uh, shared in the show notes that anyone uh, can go ahead and see. Um, you said that you are, are working um, on a book now. And it has to do a lot with, uh, you're saying, the strange animals that we're basically talking about a lot of it tonight? It's going to talk about a lot of these strange creature, different type of creature reports, and UFO reports as well. So there'll be a lot of cases in there that a lot of people probably have never heard of before, and even some of these cryptid reports that they've never heard of before. So um, I'm hoping to, hoping to get it out in the next few months. Things just slowed down a little and got backstepped here with all the activity and the virus situation around here. So hopefully in the next few months we'll have it out. But these kind of cases are going on year after year. And it's... Um, then before I know about the phenomenon, the strange it is, I said many, many years ago, the phenomenon is so strange, it protects itself. Uh, <laughs> it protects itself in a way from people taking it seriously because it's just so far out. Is that what you mean? No, because it's so unusual that who's going to believe it unless you experience it yourself? It's so unusual, just like when we started the show. And, and that's a lot of people are skeptical of these kind of reports until they learn more and more about it and realize there's something going on here. There's something actually going on. Too many people were involved in this from all over the country that want no publicity, have nothing to gain. I mean, why would a police officer, an engineer, a school teacher, a hunter contact somebody privately and don't want their name out there? They just want to know if anybody else ever saw anything like this before. It's very common. Right, right. Um, yeah. Um, so you just mentioned police police officers. Do you have a lot of uh, police officer reports in in Pennsylvania? Uh, over the years, I've interviewed numerous police officers who have seen um, everything from UFOs and some experienced other strange incidents out there. And um, and I'll tell you one, and, I'll, and I think you'll find this fascinating, because this is another cryptid that's beginning to get reports now from around the country. It's something a lot different. And I got this report from a police officer back in 2017 in Pennsylvania. He called me a short time after he saw this thing while on patrol. And um, it's a very, very strange report. But within weeks, other and people without knowing about it, people began to report seeing something similar. And now it's be something similar is being reported around the country. So this police officer is on patrol in the area. He commonly uh, would patrol these areas at night. And as he's riding down this back road, he sees what appears to be a ball of very dull white light on the ground. And he stops there because he's thinking, I don't recall any kind of artificial lighting around here. And as he's looking at this thing, suddenly this ball of light rises up from the ground. And he realizes that the ball of light is actually the head of a very strange being about six feet or taller. <laughs> it was tall and almost skeletal thin. It was, it was completely hairless, by the way. He said... Um, he believes this thing was laying on its belly, lying on its belly on the ground with its head facing towards the road. It stood up facing the road. It was very dark in that location. He saw the dull light from the glowing head illuminating the upper section of the body. He watched this thing turn to the right, and then he said the creature turned and faced him, then turned to the left and took off at an incredible speed away, a location from the road. As it moved off, he said the witness could see his arms swinging. He said he indicated it took off at a speed that you could only call abnormal. 
He said it moved faster than anything he'd ever seen before. It was there and then was gone. Interestingly, almost the same words that some people describe with Bigfoot and other cryptids where they appear and disappear. And um, he, when it was gone, he pulled his vehicle up and put a spotlight on. There was no traction or anything there. He said this thing was at least six feet tall. They had was about eight to ten inches in diameter, shaped like a ball, but it may have had some egg shape to it. He said the light seemed to be just a dull white. The light illuminated the shoulders, the top of the chest, and a section of the arms. The witness could not see the hand. The chest was about 18 inches across. The waist appeared to be small, but the arms were unusually long. The long limbs looked skeletal with no muscle mass. The skin tone appeared to be dull grayish blue. He could not see any facial features. And, um, of course, he was very reluctant to report it. But within a couple weeks later, I got another report from another person. I'm only guessing I'd have to look on a map. I can't remember exactly, maybe 30 miles away, 40 miles away in another area. And this person was outside, way out in the country, and she sees this large object hovering over the trees with multiple lights on it, rotating, bobbing up and down. As this thing's hovering there, she hears this really weird screeching, screaming sound coming from the woods. She said it was like an angry owl, a very loud, steady, like an angry noise, like an angry owl. And this thing's still hovering there. And soon after that, she sees in the distance what she thought was a neighbor coming up out of the woods in her direction. Soon realized this wasn't a person at all, but she sees this basic human form, about five foot eight inches tall, has this kind of egg shaped. The color of the creature was odd and gave the impression it was very sickly and in poor health, looked to be very like cream to ivory color. And there was no facial features except around what would be the mouth area that seemed to be a wrinkle down on one side. Thought it'd be thin, hairless, so it's very similar to what the policeman saw. And then more reports. And then I get a report from another fella whose home is basically in the woods. He's been a woodsman all his life. He works out in the woods. He knows the sound of deer and other animals because he lives with them. And he said he was up in the woods behind his home working, and he hears this bipedal sound that sounded very odd and it scared him a little. So he decided, I'll go down to the woods and I'll go to the house and eat. So he goes down to his home. He's down there a short time later. He's sitting at his table, which is about 10 feet away from the back door that has no drape on it, so it's unobstructed. And he sees this creature crouched down at the door. He said a humanoid-shaped being with its hands and knees staring directly at the witness. Creature looked like a skeleton, skeleton cut with all gray skin. The creature was down on its gray, bony legs. The legs looked similar to that of a greyhound. The arms were very long, bony, and hairless. The head was round, the neck was small, and the eyes were glowing a dull yellow color. He estimated this thing would standing be six or seven feet tall. He could see its spine protruding as it moved. It crouched down and went across, around the house and was gone. That's the kind of things that are going on, but you're not going to hear about it in the news. God, no. Um, you know, one of the things I was thinking of when you, you were talking earlier about, you know, the possibility of these things being interdimensional, it seems to me that, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but for someone to travel, unless they're sent or whatever, through whatever it is to get into this dimension, let's just follow that line, you know, that uh, line of thinking, um, you would think the beings would be of great intelligence and you don't really see like actions when it talks about the Bigfoot and the screaming and the, uh, 
you know, the, the odor that you can smell them from, you know, half a mile away, stuff like that. Uh, but you don't, you don't really see an intelligence in these beings or any of these beings that all of a sudden show up and disappear. What do you think about that? Uh, it, it's there's different types of reaction. One thing you just mentioned about the smell. Yes, a lot of people have talked about this very strong, overpowering odor, like something rotten egg, salt, first time has been dead for a long time. But in many cases, there is no smell whatsoever. Hmm. My theory is, and I don't, again, it's just a theory, that the smell is somehow related to the process of these things appearing and disappearing. Hmm. But um, intelligence-wise, I, 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 it's really hard to comment on that because of different reactions. But one reaction I've seen, an increase in reports in recent years with different cryptid cases I investigate is that when these creatures realize that the human observer can see them, they have a startled reaction, which some people can see on their face and how they move their mouth and their teeth. They have a startled reaction when they realize that the humans can see them. Wow. And I think that's very interesting. How about that? That almost makes you wonder if, uh, you know, maybe they're thinking they're in another spectrum or something where we can't visually see them or maybe that's where they are some of the time or whatever. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a whole nother, a uh, whole nother thing. Uh, let's see. Michael wanted to know, have there been any dogman encounters through Pennsylvania as seen in Wisconsin? Yes, there've been uh, a number of dogman sightings that myself and other investigators have looked into the years. But if you go back to 1973 with that major outbreak, and if you read through my solid invasion book, the one thing that I brought up was that you had many of the so-called typical Bigfoot sightings of something six to nine feet tall, covered with hair, no neck, long arms. But then there were some variations. We had some reports where these things were smaller and more muscular. Some were taller and thinner. And then I had some cases where people were, I mean, literally two, two three feet away from these things, that close. No. And they were looking, I mean, in one case, the woman was literally looking face-to-face at this thing. Uh, between a screen and a window, she was in. The, she was got up early in a bathroom visiting a friend, and there was a foundation house low to the ground. She began to hear these strange sounds outside, and suddenly this thing rises up, and this thing has. She described the face as looking more like a wolf or a dog, glowing eyes, large thing-like teeth. I mean, looked directly into its face. I mean, I talked to her. She had called the state police, and they patched me in to talk to her. They sent a trooper out. And and then I'll tell you an interesting part of the story. They, she gave a very detailed account of what she saw. She was so scared that she made those people take her to her home several miles away. Within the hour, the same or another creature showed up at her house. And I've had other cases where the same thing has been reported. It's not that common, where the same thing has happened, where somebody's seen a Bigfoot at a certain location, where then a short time later they go somewhere else and a Bigfoot shows up. Wow. Almost like it was following them in some type of fashion, in a way, it it sounds like. Again, we don't have the answers, but that's what people reported. Yeah. Um, Here's a good good point that uh, Rob is making. In the interdimensional uh, theory, uh, why would they need to raid trash cans? Because yeah, that's one of the things you do hear about. Uh, a number of people have noted that, you know, a Bigfoot was in their trash can, digging through their trash can. I have heard that. Now, I don't know if there's any truth to that again. Who knows? But uh, so I thought that was an interesting take. 
and yes, we've heard those stories. We we realized years and years ago that these things loved apples, corn, and berries particularly. <laughs> and yes, over the years we had reports of chasing deer and carrying deer over their shoulders. Um, wow! But that's the type of thing we've had. And again, so much we don't have an answer for. But these are the kind of things that have been reported for a long, long time. And um, so it's. Um, it's, there, there's so many little details that as you talk about, you bring these details out and you talk about the smell. I'll, I'll tell you an interesting case. And this was down in around dairy outside of Lake Trobe back during 73. I smell again. I told you I never saw a Bigfoot. There was a couple farms out in that area where the people that owned the farm said these things periodically would come back. So my team, even though we're very busy on multiple cases, we tried to stake out some of these places. And one night, um, I got a call from one of the families that the creature just been back on the farm. So we got our team and we hurried back out there. When we got out there, we found three toed footprints in the barn. The animals again and their farm that wouldn't make a sound. They had a, it was dark. There was a big cornfield there and something way ahead of us bipedal was taking large strides running away from us in the cornfield, making this very loud, uh, heavy breathing, asthmatic-like sound. I chased it. We chased it through the cornfield. I recorded the sounds. Whatever it was, we could never catch up to it. But with the smell, um, I was take, a police officer took me down to a house where two women had come to the police department, and they went. They wanted to see the creature. They reportedly had shot. Where well, the rumor was going around that area that the police had shot had shot a Bigfoot after so many sightings. They wanted to see it. Because on this particular night, it was a very warm night, this woman was lying in bed, and something awakened her. She turned over, the wind is only, I think it was like three to four feet away from her bed, and this creature is stooped down, had the drapes open, and staring directly at her. She's looking right into the face of this thing. The wind is nine feet off the ground. It moved back from the window, went around the other side of the house where her daughter was sleeping. The daughter started screaming. She just saw the biggest shadow she had ever seen. And right about that time, this horrific smell begins to encompass the area in their home. And three days, and they so they went to the police because they wanted to see if what the, what she the mother had seen if it was similar to what uh, they had shot, which of course was not the case. It was an untrue rumor. The police officer believed they were telling the truth, had me come down to the house to interview them. When I got into the house, you could still smell this rotten odor like something had been dead for a long time. Wow. that, that That's crazy. That's really crazy. Uh, we've only got about three minutes left. So um, I think uh, this, is, this has been a great show, and I, I've really uh, enjoyed speaking to you once again. Um, just going back real quickly to the – you know, the mini UFOs, that, that type of thing. You mentioned that some of them are, are structured, but when they look like they're structured, did they actually, were they actually seen like in a home? I know you mentioned a lot of these are seen, have been seen indoors and things like that, um, but not a structured one indoors, it wouldn't be, would it? Well, some of them appear to be solid metallic. And others just appear to be either transparent with a definite shape, and sometimes it's just kind of uh, a spherical light source of different colors. So it depends on the situation, but they have been reported uh, indoor and outdoor. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Um, and I, I know I've actually talked to someone, um, you know, years ago that said that they were in a room with a bunch of people, and all of a sudden this ball light 
started like going from uh, one room. It went from one room into another and they jumped up and followed it. And something about a, a, a sink, it hit, it hit a faucet or something like that and disappeared. But I mean, it, it's such a strange, strange phenomenon, the whole thing. About everything we've talked about tonight has been pretty strange. <laughs> yeah, so these cases go on and on. I invite people to go to my website. They can get updates on there at stangordon.info. Uh, they can email me, too, at paufo at comcast.net. It's on my website. Uh, phone number's on there as well. Uh, my book's available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com as well. Excellent. Well, Stan, you've been wonderful as always, and uh, I hope to talk to you again and, uh, you know, maybe another year or so, it'd be great to have you back on. It's always fun speaking with you. All right, Gordon. Right. Well, the way things are looking, though, hopefully by then there'll be a lot more to talk about. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of activity. All right, you take care, Stan, and talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. Have a good evening. Yeah, you too. Okay, everyone, so that is it for our show this evening. And uh, next week we have another kind of, uh, well, it's uh, it's another different type of show. We're going to be talking uh, crop circles realities. So we're going to have two people on Darcy Weir and Gary King. Uh, there is uh, also a UFO connection to that. And again, we have a lot of great things uh, coming up. Uh, Kathleen Martin's the week after. And uh, so uh, again, if you want to know who's coming up, go to our website, podcastufo.com. And on the sidebar, you'll see an email list you can get on. And we send out one email per week. And it usually comes out uh, the day of the show with the blog and who the guest is. And thanks so much, everyone. And we'll see you next week. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky.